Happy Rosh Chodesh. Rosh Chodesh Nisan. Yeah, new new sefer. Parshas Vayikra. All right, the third uh, parsha of the Torah, which uh, I learned is all about Karbanos. I learned about that when I was 19. I told you that story uh, when I was on my way to Israel, and they asked me what the third book of the Torah is at LL Security uh-huh. to make sure I was really going to learn in Yeshiva. Oh, and I told them it's Vayikra, and they said, what's Vayikra about? And I didn't know. I said, I said maybe mitzvos. <laughs> like most and the guy started laughing he's like keep on going it's okay keep going but I felt like I was 19 years old going to learn Torah in Eretz Yisrael and that conversation with this guy uh, got me to start learning the Parsha every week <laughs> so it's uh, his chus his chus okay so it's all uh, this week's Parsha got Karbanas and Karbanas is a very um, it, it takes work on our end to really understand what a sacrifice is and, and what, what the purpose was. It plays such a prominent role in the Torah, very important role. And, and for us in this year, sitting here in Gullus without the Beis HaMikdash, it's, you know, all the, all the ins and outs, the nitty gritty is, uh, is, is not so simple. So let's try to give a little bit of a uh, explanation at, by, by ways of introduction. So we'll introduce it with a Hasidish story. Okay, about the uh, holy Baal Shem Tev, the founder of the founder of Hasidus, that um, it's well known. The Baal Shem Tev would travel from town to town and gather people together in order to speak to their hearts. Part of the primary avoda that the Baal Shem Tev undertook is at the time people were just doing, as a, and they there there was a, a loss of meaning for the connection with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. You could perform mitzvahs and not be connected in any way. So he would speak to people's hearts and, and bring that out within, within the Yiddishkeit. And he would tell them stories from Chazal, stories from our sages, stories from Gemara, and explain to them that even though we're, we're simple Jews, there's really no such thing as a simple Jew. And very often it's from the simplest place and the least complicated place that... Uh, the, the greatest sincerity could come and the greatest relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu could come. So the, the story goes that the Baal Shem Tev arrived in the city of Tarnau and he told a story from a medrash of a wealthy man who lived in the days of the Beis HaMikdash and he was taking a fattened ox to the Beis HaMikdash as a carbon, bringing it as, a, as uh, an offering. And as they were walking, the ox stopped, refusing to go forward. The wealthy man tries to Prod the animal, doesn't work. Okay? Ox isn't budging. Wealthy man with the big fattened ox is bringing for a carbon. You know, he's, he's stuck. It's an expensive ox. Costs a lot of money and he's, he's, he's stuck over here. What, what's he going to do? So, um, as he's standing there contemplating, there was a poor fellow who noticed what was happening. And he walks over to the ox and he holds out a handful of greens in front of the animal. And the ox begins to nibble on the greens. And as he's nibbling, the poor man draws his hand away. The ox keeps following and it begins to go forward, you know, following the treat. And the poor man keeps doing this until they reach the Beis HaMikdash. And the wealthy man is now overjoyed. He's so excited. The fattened ox finally made it to the Beis HaMikdash. He's going to burn it as a carbon ola, completely up to Hashem. And he's so excited, they decide he's going to add a sheep to his tab. You know, walk over to the sheep canteen in the Beis HaMikdash. Bring a sheep as a carbon shlamim, and he's going to throw a party. 
and uh, he's going to make a huge feast. And the poor person, um, although he was happy to help, now didn't have, uh, you know, he didn't even have what he had in his, in his hand. And he had thought that he was going to bring these greens and somehow make use of them in service of Hashem, and now he had nothing. That night, the Baal Shem Tov says that the owner of the ox had a dream, and a voice calls out to him, he says, you should know the greens that the poor man used is more beloved to Hashem than your fattened ox and sheep. Yeah, he caused it all to happen. Yeah, so it's more beloved in front of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Because, as the Baal explained, HaKadosh Baruch Hu desires an action that comes from the heart, and any mitzvah that a person does, whether it's great or small, simple or difficult, is primarily judged by how it's performed. And this poor Yid performed it with the greatest intention that a fan the ox should make its way to Hashem, even if he himself is going to lose out. But now there's going to be a, a sacrifice brought to Hashem as opposed to the way that you brought your sacrifice was with a little bit of pomp, a little bit of, uh, you know, uh, you know po- uh, party theme uh, than, than it is of connecting yourself to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And this is really the message where our Parsha kicks in and what the overarching message of a sacrifice was. We use the word sacrifice away from animals nowadays, but what do we mean when we're sacrificing something? We're giving of ourselves to something else. The, the Sukkim say, as we're going to see shortly, it says that Maishu Rabbeinu didn't initially take part in what was given to the Mishkan, and he felt bad about it. And it's, it's fascinating, he, he felt bad about it. How could he not have anything to give to the Beis He to the Mishkan? He had to give to the Mishkan. And in the way of Hasidus, they explained that Maish Rabbeinu felt bad because Hashem wanted Nadiv Lev. Hashem wanted the, the giving over of the heart. And Maisha knew that his, he didn't have a heart anymore. He didn't have a heart. He was just one with Hashem. That's it. So, so when it came time to give to the Mishkan, he's like, what else am I going to give? I, 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 I'm not, there's no me to give. That's how they explain it. There's no me to give. And Akadosh Baruch Hu, when he keeps bringing the Psukim, he says... He says, uh, don't worry about it. What I, really, your gift of not having anything is greater than anybody else's. Because it's the rutzon that I want. And if you don't have a rutzon, you've already given it all over. So the, the idea is that to ultimately, if we could halavai, live in a way, and this is the goal. We're going to get there. Maybe somebody else will. I don't know. I, I could just strive to whatever. Right? We, could, we could talk about it and, and do our best to be honest with it. It's, it's to really live with not what is my Ratzon, but what is Hashem's Ratzon. What is the Ratzon Hashem? And, you know, what does Hashem want me to? You know, I'm thinking now, uh, you know, as we get to Pesach, and I'm trying to drop a few pounds before the whole uh, diet changes, right? So it's like, do you, you try to change up. Like, what does Hashem want me to eat? What does Hashem want me to eat? You know, what do I want to eat? What does Hashem want me to eat, right? Now, is it going to be perfect? It's not going to be perfect. But if, if we could put, try to put like, these interesting things into our minds, where it's like, it's, you know, what is, is you know, sh- you know uh, getting up or doing something, does Hashem want me to do this? Does Hashem want me to, you know, to be doing this, thinking about this, eating this, inter- you know, responding like this, and so on and so forth? That is, that's, all these things are carbonos. This is carbonos. And this was the message when they actively took these animals to the base of Mikdash. The message was not the, the carbon itself per se. It was what the message of the carbon is, which is to learn that we are really all are 
a piece of Hashem. We're an extension of Hashem. There, it's not my will and Hashem's will. It's it's sacrificing and and uh, and giving it over. When I was in yeshiva, I'm sure they don't have this anymore because of um, the uh, access to information now. When I was learning in in uh, yeshiva in Lakewood, so when we were bored, this is what we did for fun. We called a Yiddish hotline. It was a Yiddish hotline. Listen to this. It's incredible. This hotline existed. It was a 718 number for for New York. It was a hotline in Yiddish with a recap of the Yankee games. (laughs) The Yankee games. The Hasidim didn't have radios. They didn't have televisions. But they sport, you know, want to know what happened with the Yankees. Yankees. What's going on? So after the game, there was some guy who was the bum who listened to the game and he wrote down what happened each inning. And we would call up and, and people would call up. And, and we, I mean, we barely knew Yiddish at the time. You know, I, I, later on, I learned Yiddish. I was learning in Eretz Yisrael. So the shir the, the, was the Yiddish. We had to learn it. But at the time, we're just on the floor. It's like two o'clock in the morning. And we're like, oh, let's call this this. This uh, Yankee hotline. So how do I get onto this? Because it, in baseball, there's a concept called a sacrifice bunt, right? Or a sacrifice fly, whatever. <laughs> and they talk about how De- Derek Jeter, Derek Jeter, macht a carbon. You understand? He made a carbon. He made a sacrifice. And he had an RBI because the other player got it. But, the, but they called it a carbon. It was a sacrifice fly. So it was like, you know, it's hysterical. They had all these Hasidish expressions. We understood maybe half of it. But we're like, think, you know, I doubt they have. Uh, maybe. Who knows? They have these hotlines of people only still have phones. What do I know? And now they probably have it on, on WhatsApp and, and uh, be it as it may. No, but, but, what, <laughs> but what's the idea behind a sacrifice fly, a sacrifice pump? You gave something of yourself and now somebody else. It's something else gained. And that, you know, interest, it's interesting how, how, you know, even within other... Uh, realms you could find you could find this concept that it's it's less about me and more about the uh, and more about the greater idea one more point just to mention by way of introduction is that it's it's based upon this it's important to realize that there's no such thing as rituals in Yiddish people look at sacrifice like it's a ritual ritual is just something that you do without any deeper understanding of how it's impacting me. The message of a ritual that we do is, it, it's just a purpose to take us to a greater end. It's not the ritual, we don't just do random rituals and something, oh, this is what you do. No, you bring a sacrifice. It's a ritual, no. It's, this is meant to bring me to a greater end. It's meant to take me somewhere else. It's not just, we're doing things to, you know, the shame doing things. These, these concepts don't happen in Yiddishkeit. And interestingly, a sacrifice is not allowed to have a blemish. It's not allowed to have a blemish. So we'd say, what does that mean? If I'm supposed to turn myself, so to speak, and my life into a life of sacrifice, so to speak, okay, which we'll focus on what sacrifice is. Um, but the, the animals were meant to be perfect. Does that mean that I'm meant to be perfect? And the answer is yes, because perfection means as... You know what to say? It's it's I'm perfectly imperfect, right? You, if you know anybody who's perfect, they're imperfect. We spoke about this last Shabbos, where it's 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 a, an, an idea I came across recently, which is um, 
there's a chassidish is saying from the Kotzka Rebbe, maybe we mentioned this last week, there's no, uh, the, uh, um, there's nothing as whole as a broken heart. I think we shared this last week, right? Nothing as whole as a broken heart. So I heard a statement recently that there's nothing as broken as a whole heart. Right. right? Nothing, as, nothing as broken as a whole heart. Which is that a, a person who thinks they're whole, I, I'm perfect, I'm perfect. There's something off. There's, oh, there's, there's something off. It's impossible. It's impossible. By definition, a being, a being humans, there's something, and, and that's, that's perfection. In other words, our view of perfection is, is uh, distorted. Being a perfect person means... I'm, I have imperfections, and that's not a blemish. That's not a blemish. That is the perfection. That is the perfection. There's always going to be a place in our lives. There, I don't know anybody who has a every who has everything in order, who has everything perfect. I, it's impo- I, I, I've never met a person like that. I've never met a person, which is a proof that that means our struggles and the things that we need to figure out is a, is the perfect life that's the, that's perfect that's being a perfect person as long as i don't have a whole heart if i have a whole heart which is which means that i think i don't have blemishes that's actually a blemished karma that's a that's a sacrifice uh, that's a sacrifice with blemishes and that's the idea behind there's nothing as broken nothing as blemished uh, um, as a uh, as a whole heart. Okay, so let's get into this. The let's get the car part. So the proper procedure for bringing a sacrifice was as follows. The every sacrifice would start with a stage called havaa. Okay, havaa means to bring. Like, uh, yeah. Bruchim habotim, right? Blessed in the botim in your coming. Okay, so Havah was bringing the donor themselves had to bring the animal to the courtyard, and if um, to a point where if somebody made a pledge, a promise to bring a sacrifice and they refused, Bezdin would pressure them until they say, "I want to bring this carbon." And um, so it, it started with Havah. Havah means show up. Which is very interesting to the concept and the idea of of bringing myself as a sacrifice. What do you do? What do you do as a? How do you bring yourself a person? Uh, how, how do I know if I'm sacrificing myself to Hashem, so to speak? And I don't like that. I'm cha- translating like art school. Sacrifice is terrible. Terrible. I feel like I'm giving. I'm giving myself. I want to pause for a minute and explain what a sacrifice is in the entire dick of you. Okay, the entire dick of you. When we received the Torah, we said Nasev and Ishma, which is on the surface, foolish. It's foolish. We didn't ask questions. Imagine if somebody offers you a job with tremendous responsibility to say you want the job, and before you even ask what it's about, you're like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And they give you a job. To, yeah, to go, you know, whatever. I want you to travel across the world in two hours. What? Like, what are you talking about? Like, what? Eh? We said Nasev, we didn't ask any questions? The other nations ask. That's a smart thing to do. And one thing that Jews have not been accused of is being dumb. Sometimes they think we're smarter than we really are, but okay, fine, maybe. Who knows? Right? But we're not accused of being dumb. Right? We're in control of everything, according to the anti-Semites, which is that old joke why the, this guy sees a Jew reading the, the anti-Semitic newspaper, and he says, how could a Jew read that? He says, listen, when I read the Jewish newspapers, I hear about all the Tsarists and Claudius 
An anti-Semite say you're in charge of the Wall Street, you're in charge of Hollywood, you're in charge of... Ah, great. Things are great. We're all rich and healthy and the best. He says, I prefer those. Okay, that's the joke. Um, but how can you say Nasev and Ishma? We, we didn't know what was happening. So here's the word. Here's the idea. And the idea behind Nasev and Ishma is... <coughs> excuse me. <clears throat> the nations of the world who didn't have a family relationship, an intimate relationship with Hashem. So, what's in it for me? That was the response. Klau Yisrael, who at the time already had an intimate relationship, we were the great-grandchildren, three generations from Avram Yitzhak and Yaakov. That's, that was the history of the day. It wasn't, it wasn't a long history. So imagine somebody who was connected to your grandparents, your great-grandparents. That, that was the extent that it was. And you know that there was a bond between your family and Hashem. You don't need to ask those types of questions anymore. You don't need to ask it. You're, you're my Zaydi's friend, so to speak. Right? You're, this is, uh, I'm, I'm based upon that. It's like when, you know, I'll, again, everybody's uh, situation is different. I'll just give you, you know, again, the, I have a, a blessing to have been born. I was born to mature people. My parents weren't young parents. They were, they were different parents, I'm sure, to me than they were to some of my older siblings. And my mother would, would uh, remind us and remind my sisters and remind us. She would say, Tati wasn't always Tati. <laughs> in other words, I, you know, we're, we're different in our teens and 20s and 30s and 40s. But I first got to know my father when he was in his 60s and 70s. That's when I got to know my father. He was in his 50s when I was born. And then when I'm a kid, you can't understand much. Then I'm a teenager, so I thought I was smarter than him. He doesn't know anything. And then finally, I get to my mid-20s, and you're starting to think a little bit. Right? So, so it was at, really at the mid-20s. Okay. And then, you know, so for me personally, he passed away when I was, in, uh, when I was 27. So I only had a few years where I like, understood a little bit. What it, he's a mature person. My mother was mature, was a mature person. The way that they spoke and even, like, didn't speak, what they said didn't, about their parents and their parents' friends, and I felt was like part of my family. It's part of my family. It's, it's, it's you know, that, this is my Zaydi's friend. This is my Bubby's friend. There's, 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 there's some, and when we showed up at Harsinai and HaKadosh Baruch Hu was there, this is, the parable I just gave is like even a terrible parable connected to Hashem, but that's the closest we can fathom such a thing. Hashem says, I'll give you a terror. It's like, yeah, you're like my, you know what I mean? Like, my Zadie got a job from you, and I know your family cares about my family, so whatever, whatever you want. Like I, you know, like, I know this is good for me. I know this is good for me. This is, Avram, Yisak and Yaakov built, their, built up. Everything was the Rabbi Nishleilam. Yaakov had a son, Levi. Just to give an example of Moshe. Levi's daughter was Yecheved, who was Moshe Rabbeinu's mother. And Moshe got the Torah. So it's like, you know, Moshe's grandfather was Levi. His great-grandfather was Yaakov, Avinu, Yisak, Avinu. So when Hashem comes, He says, you want the Torah, we're not starting to be like, hmm, I wonder, maybe this is something that's terrible. No, no like, we wouldn't even be here. We wouldn't be here without the reality and the existence of our connection with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. So we knew off the bat that if Hashem's offering us something, we're not giving anything up. And this was the difference between us and the nations. The nations wanted to know, what am I giving up to be in a relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu? And when we showed up at our scene, we said Nasa Vinishma because we already knew. Right now it was about performance. We knew we're not giving up. You don't lose by being in a relationship with Akadish Baruch Hu. 
That truth we already have. We have the truth that you're not going to lose by being connected to Hashem. That was, that was something that was definitive. And therefore, when Hashem showed up, He said, Nasa Vinishma. We know. We already had that in our, we already had that in, in the DNA. So when we talk about sacrifices, that's what we give that as a background. We talk about sacrifices. The sacrifice of a Yid is not a sacrifice of, I'm a nobody, I'm giving myself up, I'm, I'm you know, I, I don't exist. Sacrificing means that I'm not separating myself from Hashem anymore. I'm willing to not separate myself from HaKadosh Baruch. I'm willing to sacrifice the worldly things that are going to get in my way of Hashem. I'm not sacrificing myself. I'm sacrificing the things that get in my way of a true relationship with Hashem, who I'm echad with, who I'm one with. A yid, Klal Yisrael, yid, Klal Yisrael is Yisrael Vairaisa. Yisrael, the Torah and Hashem, it's all, we're all bound as one. That's part of, uh, that's part of uh, Hashem Echad. So the step one of a sacrifice was Hava, which is show up. Step one to a relationship with Hashem is show up. This is different than some other religions, not all other religions. In some other religions, it's more about your feelings that lead to the, that make you a, servant of that religion. You have to believe in something. You have to feel something. You have to meditate something. You have to... And in Yiddishkeit, we, you need to have the emotion and we should have the emotion, but it's a, it's a religion of action. Step one to a relationship is show up. Don't just say you love me. Don't just say you love me. Show up. That's Havva'a. That was step one of the procedure of bring the carbon. You, you pledged the sacrifice, you showed up to the base of Mikdash. Next step of every carbon, of every sacrifice, was smicha. Smicha. That was step number two. The word smicha is, means to lean on, to rely on. So the, sac- the step two of every sacrifice is the donor would take their hands and put their body weight on the animal. They would have the animal in front of them and they would put their body weight on, on this animal, which is an expression. To, so what's leaning, by the way? What's considered leaning? It is important to know the halacha. Leaning means to a point where if that would be removed, I would fall. Now, the reason why it's important to know this in halacha is because when a person davens shmona esrei, when he davens shmona esrei, so unless you need support, you're supposed to be standing on your own support. So if you have a shtender, to lean on a shtender. Again, if you can't stand up for shmona esrei, don't stand up for shmona esrei. If it's difficult, it's difficult. But in... in this standard way, it says you shouldn't be leaning on things. Whatever. So leaning on things doesn't mean that you can't put your hand on something. Whatever. It means to lean so hard that you'd fall over if that thing, if that thing moved away. Okay? That's, what, that's what leaning means. So I'm leaning on this animal, which means I'm relying on this action to build my relationship with Hashem. I'm, rely- I'm completely reliant on HaKadosh Baruch Hu and on, and on these mitzvahs where I, I don't have any of my own support. I really am not supporting myself. All the support I have is coming from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. That was step two of every sacrifice, which was called smicha. So step one is hava'a, showing up and bringing. Step two was smicha. Step number three was vidoy. Now vidoy is confession that was not brought by, that was not done by every carbon, but was done if it was a sin offering. Now a sin offering could either be through certain purposeful sins that don't have any other consequence, uh, the carbon chattas, the sin offering that we generally refer to, means an unintentional sin. So um, if, let's say, somebody 
sins intentionally, you actually would not bring a karma chattas. There would be other consequences. A sin offering is for a person that did not intend to do the sin, but still did it. And that's such a fascinating thing. It's a fascinating thing where, where you know, we're going to confess that we, we... Let me introduce this. There's a fascinating concept in Chazal from the sages, which is good things happen through people who are worthy. Good things happen through people who are worthy. Okay? Um, you need to be worthy to have good things come from you. If good... if things that are not good come from me, I need to look at myself and say, even if this wasn't my fault, it wasn't intentional, but why did something not good come from me? Why did something not good come from me? It's a fascinating, it's, it's, a, it's a beautiful, um, it's a beautiful idea that a, a person bring a sin offering is saying vidui. I didn't intend this to happen, but I'm noticing that if, in other areas of my life, in, the, in other areas of my life, if I had more perfection, the, the symmetry of my life wouldn't have allowed this. So it's letting me know that I have to take a step back and not only look at this unintentional sin, but to just take a step back at everything at large. Everything at large and say, you know, what else can I notice what else about this can I notice that would have allowed me to stay on the path of good things coming from me? And this is this is just a, it's a, it's a powerful uh, idea in in how we interact with with life and how we interact with you know in, with our interpersonal relationships. We could make a decision that we I want as much as possible. Sometimes you're going to be forced the other way. Sometimes we, we're just, things are out of our control. And we have to we have to recognize it's Hashem who's got His plan and what and whatever it is. And it's good to have a, a friend or a confidant, somebody who can bounce ideas off of. It. If if I, if I could be a person who, when people leave that interaction with me, if each of us think like this, I could be a person when people leave their interaction with me, their day is a little bit better. Their day is a little bit better. It's not a matter of right or wrong. It's not a matter of right, but. When people interact, they're not going to walk away more grouchy than when they met me. They'll walk away with a little, a little lighter, a little extra bounce in their step. That, that's part of a galgalin shosal yidei zakai. This is part of Hashem. It's called rolling merit through those who have those who have merit. You need to be. Let me articulate it in, in, an, in an additional way. This is I was talking to somebody on on Shabbos. There's a well-known story about a couple that was driving through one of the tunnels in New York and the wife was in labor. It's a famous story. Pesach Kron tells over the story. The wife was in labor and it was before they had the bars that blocked you, right? You had to stop at the toll booth. If you want to run the toll booth, you ran the toll booth. And uh, this woman's in labor and they go, they go straight through. Yeah, she's got to get to the hospital. They're not stopping. She's, uh, you know, no time to waste over here. Um, okay, the next day, the guy's coming back to visit his wife in the hospital. He pulls through the toll booth, he stops, and he tells the toll booth lady that he has to pay double. 
He has to pay double because yesterday he went through. So the toll booth lady said, yeah, I know, I was the one standing here when you guys went through. And I knew you'd come back because you have a skull cap on your head. Whoa. Okay? So everybody talks about what a Kiddush Hashem there was. Right? He came back. Uh, I was thinking of something extra here. I, certainly what he did was right. The Kiddush Hashem is not him. It wasn't this couple, as, as right as they were. The Kiddush Hashem was every other observant Jew that this woman interacted with, that she knew that if you are an observant Jew, of course you're going to pay again. The Kiddush Hashem is not starting over there. It starts from a bigger story. It's everybody else's chus that happened prior. And sometimes we'll look at people in their life, they're accomplishing incredible things on behalf of Klal Yisrael, on behalf of somebody else. It doesn't need to be all Klal Somebody, There's a person need and somebody else steps up in a big way for them. And you're like, you know what? I wish I could have been there to help them. Like, I said, okay. The fact that that person had the merit to be in that spot to help that other person shows something greater than the action itself. It shows that Hashem put into my head to, to be there, to decide to go there, and to help that situation, why did, why, why did, where did I get the thought from to go give that tzedakah, to go help that, to, to decide to go there so I saw that person fall so I can actually help them up? Where did it all come from? Well, why did Hashem put that in my mind? Because I'm Zoha. Because I have the merit. Yet there's times where a sin comes through that, and the, and the Torah is telling us that it goes the other way too. If a sin comes through my hands, it's not... I have every valid excuse why it was unintentional. It didn't be that. But we're saying, you know what? I'm going to come to the base of Mikdash and I'm going to change the track that I was on. The fact that this happened through me, this sin unintentional happened through me, I'm going to show up and I'm going to do smicha and I'm going to say vidoy and I'm going to get myself back into the circle of merit as opposed to the circle of things that aren't so positive. Okay? I don't know if I'm artic- it's, it's a concept. I hope I'm articulating it well. Okay, so you have the hava, the smicha, and the vidoy. Next comes, uh, after the vidoy, then they would bring the animal to be slaughtered. Animal would be slaughtered, the animal was slaughtered. This was uh, done generally in the azara, done in the, in the courtyard. Kabbalah Saddam, you know what's fascinating? The actual slaughtering was not considered an integral part of a sacrifice. I find this to be incredible. That's an incredible idea. You think a sacrifice is the shita, right? What's a sacrifice? You slaughter an animal. Do you know that most sacrifices, the slaughtering didn't even need to be done by a kohen. It could be done by it could be done by the person bringing it. It's very interesting. And then the kohen had to kick in for the by the next step, which was kabbalah sadam, to gather in the initial bursts of dam, the initial bursts of blood, which is called the the nefesh dam, the blood that was the soul blood. Um, that was that brought the life to the animal. Then the kohen had to go and catch that inside of a holy inside of a holy vessel. Just an interesting concept. It's something that I, I have ideas, but it's something I'm still uh, percolating uh, in my mind. So you have the the hava'a bringing leaning vidoy when appropriate shechita the slaughtering and then kabbalah sadam, which is the kohen catches all the blood and he brings that whole life of the animal into a holier place. That there was a a uh, jug with no bottom so that it could never be put down. If we didn't want the Kohanim to be able to s- sit on the floor, then it could start to congeal. So there was, it was, uh, it came to a point on bottom. The cup that he caught, it, it came to a point on bottom so that it would tip over if, if he put it down. And he caught all the lifeblood into this 
um, jug that already was holy. It was so you're you're gathering all the life into a you're bringing it all together into a holier place. And then there was holacha. The kohen would then take it. It's incredible how you take a message for life, right? You want you want to like get back. So you take your life, you bring it to a more holier place. You put it into like a holy basin. You put yourself into a base measure. You put yourself into a class. You put yourself into you know a podcast of Torah. You put yourself into you know. And then holacha. What do you do? The kohen then takes the blood and he brings it over to the altar. He takes the blood and he brings it to the place where the rabbi shalom is. He brings it over to the mizbeach. He would take the blood. And do the next step was zurika. Zurika is uh, sprinkling the blood on the mizbeach. Depending on the sacrifice, some were done on the. There was a line, you know, some uh, some rooms with sheetrock. Uh, I haven't seen it in anything else, but like the drywall of sheetrock. Right? So they have like the a trimming like halfway up. You know what I'm talking? About? It's like a halfway up trimming. So the the mizbeach had a lip part of the way up. And some of the sacrifices, the blood were sprinkled on the upper part of the Mizbeach. Sometimes it was done on the lower part. After that, uh, after the sprinkling, the Kohen would do Shafiha Shirayim. He would take the leftover blood that wasn't sprinkled and he would pour it all onto the base of the Mizbeach. There was like a drainage station that was cleaned out every once in a while. That's where he would pour the rest of the blood. Then he would go back to the carcass and he would do hadacha. He would rinse off the carcass, remove everything, give it a good scrub, right? Uh, and then finally, malicha vahaktara was the actual salting of the appropriate parts that, uh, of the animal and the burning. Of, and some parts were salted and burned, some parts were salted, some, you know, some were burned. Depending on the sacrifice, it was, if it was like an ola, it would all be burnt to Hashem, shlamim. Some of it was burnt to Hashem, some of it was given to a coin, some of it the person themselves would bring. And interestingly, they, they would take, after the animal was cut up, they would take the giranasha, which we don't eat, right? We don't eat the sciatic, sciatic nerve. And the giranasha was removed in a sacrifice as well. They would remove the giranasha and the pieces were, um, were thrown into the fire. Okay, they thrown into the fire. And this was the most common mahalach, most common um, uh, seder order, the most common order of, of sacrifices. And the three, there was a number of different types of sacrifices, the three primary animal sacrifices. There's other sacrifices like a meal offerings, there was meal offerings that were brought as well. Interestingly, in our parsha, there's a very famous uh, Devar Torah that's shared over by the meal offering that says, B'nefesh. When a soul offers a meal offering, it doesn't say that by the other offerings. Mm. And it goes back to the story of the Baal Shem Tev, where a meal offering was only brought by somebody who was too poor to buy any other animal. They couldn't afford birds. They couldn't afford sheep. They couldn't afford an ox. They, 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 you know, they bought their oil and their flour, and that was their carbon. <coughs> and over there, the Torah used an expression of nefesh, of soul, to let us know the idea of the Baal Shem Tev, which is that that, that uh, shlamim, uh, offering of, or I'm sorry, that mincha offering, that meal offering was really uh, more beautiful to HaKadosh Baruch Hu if done by a way of the ratzon, by a way of the heart, than, than any other. So the three primary animal offerings, though, were called a carbon ola, a carbon shlamim, and a carbon chata. So let's just go over quickly um, because this is really the whole first part of our parsha. Let's go over how it works. So um, a carbon ola is the first carbon in the first verses that's discussed in our parsha, and it was it was brought 
by an individual only as an adava, as a pledge, if you wanted. There's never an obligation to bring a carbon ola. There were olas brought communally, the carbon tamid, the daily sacrifices were ola offerings, but when brought by a person, it could only be brought as a nadava, as a pledge. Um, it could be, an ola could be a goat, a sheep, an ox, a turtle dove, or a pigeon. Now the, the commentators on pigeons are bothered. They say pigeons are, that are completely burnt smell terrible. Mm. Smell terrible, so why would you uh, bring that? But um, it apparently was the least expensive, the pigeons. It was very common uh, in Eretz Yisrael. And uh, it says, even though they smelled horrible, if that's what you had, you. that's what you brought. That was it. Yeah. Uh, a dove in the family of a pigeon, what's unique to a dove, different than a pigeon, and this is why it was more ideal than a pigeon if they could afford it, is because doves apparently are very loyal to each other. Which pigeons, I don't know. If that, uh, I don't think. They might be in the same family, but they have different traits. They have different traits. Traits of... Uh, Traits of loyalty. Um, just to focus on that for a moment. Um, about Geir. Okay. Something about this very interesting uh, concept that, that comes up by, by uh, Geir. So we'll go back to that. Um, yeah. Yep. Um, okay. Now, which Ola would you bring? Depending on your financial capabilities. Now, you could even bring a flower offering, which is called a karba mincha. But the primary idea, like it says, as we learn through the verse of the Torah, you'll see it's like listed right in there, that it's Ashkadosh Baruch who really is, cares about what's motivating me, what's prompting me to bring this carbon ola. A carbon shlamim, a, a peace offering, was brought by somebody who wanted to express happiness. And it was called a shlamim because of the word, the word shalom. It brought peace amongst Hashem got some, the Kohen got some, and the one who brought the offering Got some. So everybody would partake in some po- some portion of this uh, animal. And if you had something something uh, positive that happened in one's life and wanted to express ourselves again in a way of sacrifice, if it means giving of your like here, it's like it's coming from a place of joy. So what do you say? Right again, because I'm noticing that I'm just an extension of Hakadosh Baruch Hu. And then there was a carbon chatas, which, as we explained, if a person unintentionally uh, transgresses a negative command of the Torah that he would have otherwise, if done on purpose, would have been obligated in kares. So he's going to bring this karban. Uh, reason number one brought amongst the commentators is because even if it was unintentional, I could have been more careful. Number two is that every action that a person does has an impact on us. And therefore, unintentionally, still, I want to like cleanse that, you know, give that over to Hashem. And the third idea is what we mentioned, is that, you know, Hashem generally will protect the tzaddik from, from uh, wrongdoing. And if we, you know, if we were involved in this, that's also a personal message about the, about the uh, broader picture. So those are the three primary, uh, three primary uh, carbonos that, uh, that were brought. Okay. And this is, again, on behalf of a uh, individual. Let's, Okay. Uh, uh, oh, yeah, but you know, the Torah is never ending. It's incredible. That's why the 120, you're still learning the Torah. Um, okay, we have a few minutes left. So I want to share something. I just want to share uh, 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 one specific idea that, that really hit me. And this idea comes out in the strongest fashion in Parak Dalit in chapter 4, Pasuk Beis, Pasuk 2. It says, V'yidavisha Moshe Lemar, Dabro B'nei Yisrael, Lemar, Nefesh Kisechta Bishkaga, 
This is referring to the unintentional, um, an unintentional sin that has to do with various people. We were talking about an average person. What happens if you're a Kohen who uh, is anointed and he's gonna and he's gonna sin? So it says, "Im ha If the Kohen who's anointed, if he does a sin, so he's gonna have actually a different rule of sacrifices than an average person. Now it's it says like this. When we bring an unintentional offering, the verse says, Nefesh ki sechta. A nefesh, a soul, when they sin. When it comes to a communal sin, let's say there's a, by mistake, we the, the community thought something was fine and it turns out it wasn't fine and unintentionally we sin. So this is Pasuk Gimel, verse 13. It says, the im and if, kol adas Yisrael yishku, the entire congregation of Klal Yisrael sins. So by an unintentional sin offering of an individual, it says, when a nefesh sins. By a community sinning, it says, and if everybody sins, then you bring your unintentional sin offering. And then in verse 22, there's a third type of sin offering, which says, uh, a leader, an appointed leader, asher nasi yachta, that a leader will sin. Again, there's going to be three different rules if you're a regular person, if you're part of a community that sinned, or if you're in... A position of leadership, that sense. Notice, though, the change in expression. This is beautiful. In verse 2, it says, a person, when they sin. In verse 13, it says, if a community sins. And in verse 22, it says, that the leader will sin. Oh, wow. It says, when, if, and that. So the Kliyakar says like this. It says the Kliyakar, mind-blowing. He says... Let me give you a lesson in Hebrew. It says the word ki, when, is more definite than if. When an individual sins is more definite than if a community sins. Okay? He says the word asher, that, is more definite than the word when. That you will sin. So he says like this. In Hebrew, the word asher is telling me, which is written by an appointed leader, that he will sin... He brings in unintentionally, but that he will sin, he will bring us out. A regular person, when they sin, and a community, if they sin. Says the Kliyakar, it's incredible. He says, Lafikach, therefore, he says, look at these words. When the, sin, when the public sins, he says, this is not a common thing. Generally, people in a community are able to talk to each other, I and mean, they see something going on, they could converse, right? So therefore it says, and if there's a sin amongst the people, because it's, it's unusual. When it comes to a sin of either an individual or a sin of a congregation that relied on a person who, or a bezdin, relied on a court that made the wrong psak, then it'll say, im, if. What does it mean, um, the word key by a regular person. So he says, Stam Yachid, a regular person, it's not difficult to sin unintentionally. It's not gonna it's gonna happen. So it says when it happens. Because the word key is Mora al Shakarav Levada. You can be pretty confident it's gonna happen. Pretty confident. That's key. But when it comes to a leader of Klal Yisrael, when it comes to a Rosh, the Nohegnisi Yuso, and somebody who carries an office. Vadai, 
The Torah says that is sinning. It says Asher by somebody who holds a high office. A person that sins. So when you're in a high office position, the Torah says, you will sin. You can call it unintentional from today till tomorrow, and it will be. You didn't intentionally do this, but chances are, because of where you're at, you're going to sin. Not, not chances. <laughs> Sorry. You will. You should know. You're, 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 you're sinning unintentional. It's there. Asher. There. By a person, it says when. When means chances are you're going to sin. That's most of us. Chances are. When it comes to community, it says, um, it's, it just uses the expression of, of uh, if. And um, I saw that if you look at the words, this is asher uh, nasi yachta. It says that asher, that nasi, the leader, will sin. The first letter of each word. Aleph, Asher, Nun, Nasi, Yachta, Yud. Aleph, Nun, Yud. What's that? Ani. It's all about me. It's all about me. That's Asher, Nasi, Yachta. You know, you know why a leader is going to sin? Because if it comes about you. And when it becomes about you, unintentional sin. Guaranteed. <laughs> so, you know, it's, uh, the terror has given us this uh, important message over here that Everything comes with its pitfalls. Everything comes with its challenges. And awareness, most things, you know, hopefully we'll be able to uh, limit it as much much as possible. We can give stories about this. We don't need to. We've all seen this. I'm sure every single one of us has seen this in our uh, personal lives. But it's uh, it's a very chash of an idea, a very important message to, uh, to note over. Okay, we'll hold it here for today.